about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. How many of you enjoyed that message last week? How many of you that was eye-opening? It was, man, that charged me up. I've got something going on now. And, and, and I hope that it did. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And, and there is obviously no way that I can uh, recap all from last week. If you were not here last week, you definitely want to get online and download the message, listen to the message. It will change your life. Uh, but we basically saw this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ. How many new life people do I have in the house today? You have been raised to new life. Then he says this, set your sights. So apparently the new life that I'm raised to, I don't automatically see it. I have to set my sight. Uh, the New King James says set your mind because your mind is actually where you see. You don't just see with your eyes. You see with your thinking. This is what you've got to understand, that you're not just seeing, uh, you know, life through these two things hanging out on your face right here. You're actually perceiving life. Let me repeat that. You're not just seeing life. You are perceiving life. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Paul says over in 2 Corinthians that what we cannot see, this will really send you for a loop, is actually more real than what you can see. What in the world does that mean? He says that the unseen is permanent, cannot be changed. But what you can see, what we live in and deal with on a daily basis is temporary. That means subject to change. Subject to change. This is what we have to grasp if we're going to understand the kingdom message. We're, we're, we're not just talking about a way that it can be. We're talking about the way that it is. He says, set your sights on the realities of heaven. That means Regardless of how you perceive it, it really is this way. So we use the example uh, that there's a picture and then there's how you see the picture. The picture is what it is. It cannot be changed. The picture is done, final. Uh, it's not up to interpretation. It's not up for opinion. Uh, God's order, God's law, God's kingdom is not up to whether or not you perceive it or understand it. It's always there. The problem, the problem now, is how we see it. It's not what we see, but it's how we see it. And so, you know, I, I told you, many of you in this room today are wearing eyeglasses. You're wearing those lenses to help you see what is already there. The glasses don't change what is there. The sign is there. The red light is there. That person is there. That book or that newspaper is there, whether you can see it with your lenses or not. But then you bring lenses into the picture, into the frame, to help you what? Adjust your perception of it. I wear eyeglasses. I've worn eyeglasses since about the, the second grade. And I actually wore frames, glasses. And I told you last week I look ridiculous in them. That's why I don't have them on. You are thanking God right now that I have contact because it would bother the mess out. You'd be like, who is this goofy, you know, goofy, geeky looking guy? I mean, I got rid of the four eyes thing quick. I said, I'm not enduring that thing. I'm, I'm off of that. Now, some of you, man, you guys look great in glasses. Some of you guys look awesome in glasses. And you pull it off so well. Hey, man, how you doing? Can I borrow your glasses? Thank you. So let's pretend that I'm not wearing contact lenses and that I cannot see clearly right now. In fact, this would actually paint the picture in the opposite way. I can see clearly. I can see clearly now. Well, the rain ain't gone. Song doesn't fit. Sorry. I did not feel the Holy Spirit on that one. So I cannot... 
I, I can see clear right now. But if I put the wrong lens on, come on, you've got to understand this now. If I put the wrong lens on, I don't know what all this stuff is on the side, but put on. Now, these things aren't too strong now, man. I can, I can pull this off. I can still see a little bit, but things are now blurry. Things are, you guys are looking a little funny right now. Lisa, did you do something to your hair this weekend? It's looking a little crazy right now, man. All over the place. Why? Because I got the wrong lens. Now, 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 there's nothing wrong with Lisa's hair. She didn't do anything to it. But the way I perceived it was dependent upon the lens that I'm wearing or that I'm not wearing. Now, I mean, I've got lenses in my eyes right now. I literally have lenses on my eyes that are changing the picture, and, and you're thankful for that because if, if I didn't have them in, I'd be, you know, all over the place running into stuff and not, not able to see, not able to read anything, not able to, and, and what? My perception is skewed because of the wrong lens. And I'm here to tell you today, as we saw last week, that the kingdom of God is not a subject within the Bible. It is the lens of how we read and perceive the Bible. Are you understanding me? The message of the kingdom is not just a subject within. It is the very thing that God established all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. We, we, we saw that last week. Genesis chapter 1, God creates the universe. He creates the earth. He creates the earth as an extension of heaven. Again, I, don't, I can't recap all of it, but God created the earth to represent heaven in the natural realm. Heaven is in, in an unseen realm. You can't see heaven, naturally speaking. You can't get on a rocket ship and fly there. You can't, uh, you know, book a trip. You, you cannot see it without spiritually seeing it. But God wanted to extend because that's what kings do. Kings are not okay with just staying in their domain, and this is my territory, and, and this is where I live, and I just want to rule. No, they want to extend, and they want to expand to the furthest part. That's why he said, go ye into all the world. He didn't say, go ye into some of the world. God intended for his message to spread throughout the entire world. No limits. And so God established the earth to be a representation of heaven. Then he does something very crazy in verse 26. He, he creates, uh, you know, the land, the earth, the stars, the moon, sets them all in place. They all have a job title. And then on the sixth day, he creates man. And this is the crazy part, because the first thing he does with mankind is he says, let us make man in our image, and in our likeness. What's that mean? I want them to look and act and operate and function and think and respond and talk just like me. You've got to get a hold of this. You're not here by accident. You're not here by chance. And you're not here to be ruled by everything around you. You're here on purpose, with a purpose, with the destiny to do what? To rule. He says, I need to create them in my image because I'm going to give them dominion just like I have dominion. See, God is a king in heaven. And he extends that rule. He extends that authority. He extends that kingdom. Kingdom is the word uh, king's domain. King's domain. He extends that domain from heaven and the unseen to the earth in the seen. And then he says, but I'm not going to rule over it. I'm going to place man in charge of it. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, over all the things that creep on the earth and over all the earth. And then verse 27 tells us that he did. He created man. He did exactly like he said. How many of you are thankful that God does exactly what he says. His word is final. His word is true. And what he says he's going to do, he will do. He's never broken a promise and he never will break a promise. God cannot lie. So if he creates man and gives him dominion, then he meant just that. 
have dominion on the earth. But then we saw that, you know, it didn't take man very long. It took man two chapters, really a chapter and a half if you put it all together, to fall, the fall of man. And man sinned. And this is huge because your authority in the earth is connected to your ability to submit to God. My authority is only as powerful as my submission. My level of authority will only operate at the level of my submission. So if I disobey God, I lose my authority. I lose my right. I lose my dominion. And they handed over. The devil, the snake, the serpent did not steal anything. He was given authority. And so we saw this, this is where we ended, that man did not fall from heaven. You can't show me anywhere in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 that man was ever in heaven. You can't show me anywhere in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 that Adam and Eve are waiting for Jesus to come back and take them all back home to heaven. You can't show it to me. It's not in there. Their only obligation was in the earth to control the garden. He told them, you tend it. You keep it. You be fruitful. You multiply the earth. Not, it had nothing to do with heaven. In fact, the only thing that it had to do with heaven was bringing heaven to the earth. That was their job. And so this is where we pick up. We saw these four things last week. That our perception, how I see it, determines my interpretation. See, a lot of us in this room, and, 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 and me too, I lived the majority of my life believing and interpreting the word that my purpose was that one day Jesus was going to come back and take me back home to heaven. I lived that way. Now, again, we will go to heaven. I'm not taking that off the table. I'm not rewriting the Bible. That's there. We will go to heaven. But is that the purpose? Is that my only goal in life is to just live on this earth, barely making it by, and everything controlling me, everything ruling me, and, and Jesus just come Take me home, Jesus. He needs another angel in heaven. He don't need another angel in heaven. He's got plenty of them. He's got plenty of them. That's what we've got to understand. God does not take. God is a giver. John 10, 10, Jesus said these words, I have come to give life. Not just life, but life more abundantly. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, this is what you got to understand. The devil comes to do all of those things. He doesn't go to one house and say, I'm going to steal from you, and then come to another house, I'm going to kill here, and, and, and over here, I'm going to destroy. No, he comes in. When he comes in, he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He is the thief, he is the enemy, and that's all he cares about. But Jesus comes to give. One comes to take, one comes to give. And this is what we've got to understand in life, because we're, we're pinning things on God that he's not responsible for, and, and we're not pinning things on the enemy that he is responsible for. Simply because we can't understand or don't have the knowledge or can't see it, based upon our interpretation. So how I interpret the word determines my understanding of it. Your understanding is limited to your interpretation. Your understanding is limited to your interpretation. So if we misinterpret, we misunderstand, right? If I go to another country and I can't understand what they're saying because there's no interpreter, in the next step, I can't apply it. You can talk to me in Spanish all day long. And it's not going to do a thing for me. Why? Because there's no interpreter. 
Therefore, I have no understanding what you're saying. Might as well just be speaking in tongues to me. Therefore, you could be telling me to help you pick up something, and I'm going to stand there looking at you funny like, yeah. I can't apply if I don't understand, and I can't understand if I don't have an interpretation, right? Okay. And now my interpretation is based upon how I see it. So if I want to perceive it differently, if I want to perceive it better, He's telling me here that I've got to set my sights. Look at verse 1, Colossians 3, 1. Set my sights on the realities of heaven. If I want to understand the word of God, I can't look around me to understand it. I've got to get my sights somewhere else. I've been raised to new life. Therefore, I've got to set my sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Verse 2. Think about the things of heaven not the things of the earth. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. We saw this last week, that it is difficult to understand heavenly concepts while focused on earthly concerns. I'll say that again. It's difficult to understand heavenly concepts while focus, what's focus means? That means I'm setting my attention to something. So if I only look at what's around me, I'll never see what's above me. Set my sights. So this is what we're doing as we walk through this. I'm not preaching so much in this as much as I'm teaching. And, and you know, I know that Eric and Jimmy are going to be really excited when I'm not preaching on this anymore because I won't hand them 32 verses. Uh, to cover, and I want to remind you that we're, you can utilize the U version app because we're going to go very quickly. If you have a phone, if you have an iPad, pull it up because we're going to be flying. If not, write the verses down, do the homework when you get home, uh, look back at those verses. They'll be here on the screen, but we're going because I got to show you in the Word. I, I'm not going to prove this out on my own. Bible says, let everything be confirmed by two or three. Witnesses, And we're going to give you two or three witnesses to confirm what his word says on the matter. So as we journey through this, understand that we are not talking about a subject in the Bible. We're talking about everything that is in here has to be filtered through the kingdom lens. So I'm asking you to put on the kingdom lens today and journey with us. We left off last week. Man sinned. Man fell. We asked this question. uh, If Adam had never sinned, where would he be today? There's only one logical deduction. There's only one logical answer that we can come up with without assuming, without trying to determine, and without trying to, to, to figure anything out outside of the word. The assumption that the only assumption, the only presumption that we can come to is that if Adam and Eve had never sinned, if they had operated in the authority that God had given them in the earth and taken control and dominion over that snake, they would still be here today. And this is what i got to help you understand, is that you and I were created for the earth, not for heaven. Not for heaven. And so in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, They've just sinned. Adam ate the fruit. Eve ate before him. In verse 9, And the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? This isn't because God doesn't know. He's not asking out of ignorance. He's not not playing hide and go seek. He's giving Adam an opportunity to respond properly to his word. I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I was naked and I hid myself. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you? You should not eat. The man said, the woman, here we go, the blame game. The woman who you gave to be with me. Notice he's not just blaming Eve. He's blaming God. 
This is what we do, man. I, I heard uh, uh, I heard one guy say that if Adam would have had a pastor, he would have blamed him too. We we just love passing blame. That's what we do, man. I'm blaming my wife. I'm blaming the snake. I, God, I'll blame you. You're the one that gave her to me. Nobody in this room has ever said that, though, I know. That woman you gave to me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle. See, he's already been condemned, so he didn't have to ask him any questions. He just went straight to, because you did this. He didn't ask him why. He didn't ask him who. There was nobody for the devil to turn to because he's, he's already been sent down. God's saying, I've already dealt with you. I don't even need to hear from you. You're cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go. You shall eat the dust all the days of your life. Now watch this. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He, everyone say he, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise your heel. Jeremiah 29, 11 tells me, for I know, says the Lord, the thoughts or the plans that I have for you. How many of you are glad that God is a planner? He's not walking this thing out with us. You know, let's see what happens on Monday. Let's see what tomorrow holds. Uh, let's see what's going to happen when you turn 50. Uh, let's see what happens when your kids turn 18. Let's find out what happens when your kids get around that group. No, he's got a plan. He's got a purpose. It's already done in his book. And so the Bible tells us that God had this all planned out from the beginning. Here's how you and I think. When, when something breaks or something doesn't go according to the original plan, most of us abandon the, the plan. We see this in our nation more than anything. If we don't like the product, we abandon the process. We don't like the president, let's get another one. If we don't like our job, let's get another one. If we don't like our spouse, let's get another one. This is, this is how the, wor- the, the, the world operates. We abandon what is broken. But God doesn't think that way, guys. God fixes what is broken. And what you've got to understand is that Jesus was not God's plan B. It wasn't his backup. Like, if this thing goes awry, I've already got something in place. He planned it this way. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. What's that? That's what Adam and Eve did. We're born into that. Because he sinned, we've all sinned. You came, you came out the womb and you already behind the eight ball. You didn't have a shot, man. None of us did. But he says here that he paid the ransom to save us, and the ransom he paid was not mere gold and silver. Let me tell you right now. The only one that has to the only one that has the right to determine your value and your worth is the one who created you. And paid the price for you. Quit letting your co-workers determine your worth. Quit letting your spouse determine your worth. Quit letting your education determine your worth. Quit letting the side of the tracks that you grew up on determine your worth. The creator is the only one that determines your value in life. And he paid a price not with mere gold and silver. Verse 19. It was, come on, this is why we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Someone tries to assess a value to you, you say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I've already been bought. I've already been, I've already been, you, you know that something is only worth as much as you're willing to pay for it. You can try to convince me that vehicle's worth $70,000, but I ain't giving you $70,000. So it ain't worth it. Everyone say, it ain't worth it. 
It ain't worth it. So they, no one else has the right to assess a value to you when someone's already determined that. So quit devaluing yourself lower than what Christ has already paid. Keep going. Verse 20. God chose him. Watch this. This is, this is crazy. God, God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. And he has now revealed him to you in these last days. Jesus was not a backup plan, guys. Uh, God, God wasn't in heaven surprised and shocked that this whole thing was going down the way it was. It's like, all right, we, we're scrambling here. Uh, doomsday, what's going on? We've got to get something in place here. Uh, you know, I, I need somebody, somebody, anybody, who's willing to go down for me? Who's willing to get these people back? We've been redeemed. The word redeemed means to buy back. This is crazy. This is crazy. How many of you, if somebody stole something from you or took something that was yours, would be willing to pay that individual to get it back? No, dude, that's mine. That's, that's my kingdom down there. Those are my people down there. See, the very thing that God hated, ended up inside of the very thing God loved. God hates sin. He's very clear on that matter. God has never changed his view of sin. He's hated it from the very beginning because it separates him from his creation. Separation took place the moment that fruit was eaten. The moment that bite was taken place separation, a spiritual death. He said, you will surely die. They didn't fall over on their faces. They were separated from their creator, from the very source of life that was going to give them. See, you can't do your purpose on this earth without him. Nobody can. They're trying in futility. Success is not money. Success is not homes. Success is not businesses. Success is not having everything you want. Success is not fame and possession. Success is being connected to the source of life. And you can have all that stuff, the Bible says, gain the whole world and still lose your soul. The only fulfillment in life is in God. Man is searching for the kingdom. You've been searching for the kingdom and you didn't even know it. People are searching for the kingdom and they don't even know it. The kingdom is everything man needs. The kingdom is everything man has. The kingdom is everything man is trying to get back to. This is what we're going to see. He's now revealed him to you in these last days. So we understand that that. Jesus is not a backup plan. He's not frantically trying to figure out. In fact, you know, a, a lot of us have this idea that Jesus volunteered. That's not, what that, that's not what that verse tells me. The verse tells me that Jesus was chosen. Now, why was Jesus chosen? Why didn't God just redeem, buy back man right there on the spot? Why go through all this mess? Why go through Genesis chapter 9? Genesis chapter 9. He's just wiped the earth clean. He's brought a flood, gotten everybody off of it because there's so much sin, there's so much chaos, that there's so much dysfunction that he says, uh, I'm going to wipe it. But why didn't he just wipe the whole earth? Like, of everybody. But if you go back there and read in Genesis chapter 6, he finds one man. Noah. A righteous man. God's only desire is to get back to the way that it was in Genesis chapter 9. And in Genesis chapter 9, after the waters have receded, he's starting over with Noah and his family. Genesis chapter 9 says, So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. 
Doesn't that sound familiar? That's interesting. That sounds like eight chapters ago. Be fruitful and multiply. What's God trying to do? Get back to the original plan. He hasn't switched plans. He hasn't said, okay, let's find a way to get everybody to heaven. That whole earth thing isn't working out. He's saying, how can I get man to rule and reign and have dominion in the earth once again? And so we go from Noah, and we find a man named Abraham, and he establishes a covenant or a bond with Abraham. He says, I've got to develop a relationship. I've got to have a people. I've got to have a nation. And when I get myself in that nation, that nation will take over the earth. But then that nation ends up uh, being uh, taken into slavery when Joseph has the dream. Come on, Joseph has the dream. And he says, it's going to be seven good years, seven bad years. And during the seven bad years, God's people, Israel, has to go to Egypt now to get all the stuff. Egypt's got all the food. And now they're in slavery for over 400 years. And so God says, okay, this ain't going to work. I've got to get my people out of slavery. They can't be up under the rule of somebody else if I need them to rule over something. And so he sends Moses. And Moses goes in. He gets the Israelites out, over a million people, brings them out. And they wander around in a wilderness for 40 years. And God even had the opportunity. God even had the opportunity to say, get out of the way, Moses. I'll get rid of them all. And then he says this, and I'll start over with you. It's like, God, why are you dragging this thing on, man? If we're all going to heaven, let's just go to heaven. Let's just get there. Why do you keep dragging this thing on? He says, I'll start over. I'll start over. I'll start over. Finally, they get into the promised land. They get into Canaan. Joshua gets them in there. And they start taking over nation after nation, defeating God's enemies one after the other. And then we end up in judges where God's people, for some reason, cannot have the self-control to just honor and worship him as their God and as their king. And they go through this cycle in judges where they end up in the hands of their enemies. And they cry out for deliverance. And God brings up a deliverer, a judge, Gideon. Samson, Deborah, all these individuals, God delivers them. They serve God, they live for God, and then they fall back in. See, this is why your parenting is so important, because what you're handing off to the next generation determines where they end up. This is why parenting, this is why child care and, and, and what we do over here on this side is so important, because the people in the book of Judges missed it. They were not handing down the commands of the Lord their God to their children. And they started living by what was around them. Oh, hey, why don't we worship that God? And why don't we serve that king? And, 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 and then in 1 Samuel, they do something real crazy. 1 Samuel chapter 8, they come to the prophet Samuel. All the elders of Israel gathered together, came to Samuel at Ramah, and said to him, Look, you are old. That's nice. That's what you want to hear. You are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now, make us a king to judge us, watch this, like all the nations. We want to be like everybody else. Rather than be the consecrated, set-apart people that God intended them to be, to bring his kingdom from heaven to the earth. They want to look like everybody else. And now they're asking for something that God never intended. God never intended for man to rule over man. He intended for man to rule over the earth and everything that creeps on the earth. And so Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you. Watch this. For they have not rejected you. They have rejected me that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods. God hasn't gone anywhere. God hasn't left the United States of America. We've left him. We've abandoned him. We have walked away from his word, from his principles, from his values, from his morals. 
We have taken steps, very deliberate steps, removing him from schools, removing him from this, removing him from that. And the chaos that ensued is not his fault. It's our fault. There's only one answer to fix it. If my people who are called by my name will repent and pray, seek my face, that's the answer. He says, my people, my people, it's up to us, it's up to the church. But he says here, they've, they've abandoned me, they've forsaken me, served other gods. And so they're doing to you also. Now, therefore, heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. What's he saying? Nobody can do it like I do. Nobody can reign over you like I reign over you. Nobody has your best interest at heart like I have your best interest. Out of, uh, of over 40 kings that Israel goes through, we only get a handful of good ones. Because our attempt at doing God's role is futile and will always fail. They ended up with kings that wanted power. Uh, Chase and I were just talking about this. That There's this thing that every person, when we gain power, we always want more power, and we fear losing that power. Except for the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We see a downward spiral here. God's people end up in bondage. They end up in slavery to Babylon, the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. Just being tossed back and forth from one nation to another. I mean, by, by this point, their identity is so gone. They can't remember the Red Sea. They can't remember the miracles in the wilderness. They can't remember Joshua bringing them in and the powerful conquest that they went on and the championing. That, they took, that took place in that book. They can't remember uh, uh, what it was like to even hear God's voice. From the book of Malachi to the book of Matthew, we have over 400 years of God shutting his mouth and not even talking. It's called the silent years. Because we forsake him, we abandon him, and we left him. But God had a plan. Isaiah chapter 9, we always read this one at Christmas time, one of our favorites. For unto us a child is born, verse 6. Unto us a son is given. And uh, what's that word? Government. See, I thought, I thought Jesus was a religious figure. I thought he came to establish a religion. I thought he came to establish Christianity. I thought he came to, to help us believe in something. And uh, it tells us that his government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his Kingdom. You can't have a kingdom if, if you're not a king. To order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Jesus didn't come as the, the head of religion, the head of Christianity. He didn't come just to give you a belief system. He came to bring and reestablish the government that was lost in Genesis chapter 3. So much so that in Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, in verse 1 it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Herod the king, Herod the king, a real king, an earthly king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They're talking about Jesus. 
We've seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. I don't know about you. There's not very many babies that scare me. Now, it depends how many diapers they go through and how much they're eating. But he's terrified. A king. Why? Because this guy prophesied to be a king. And kings don't like hearing about other kings because usually when they hear about other kings, it's usually about somebody trying to overtake or overthrow somebody. And it says he and all of Jerusalem are terrified. But the wise men are traveling all this way to bow down and worship a king. Because that's the only response you give to a king is worship. So Jesus is prophesied as a king, a king that will establish a government. And Jesus grows up, and he ends up in ministry. Matthew chapter 4, his very very first words in ministry. His very first words, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. His very first words. He's starting to preach and proclaim and even demonstrate the kingdom of God. He says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. At hand means within your reach or near you. He says it's close. It's close. The king has shown up, so the kingdom's right behind me. Because where the king is, is the kingdom. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so Jesus sets this as the pinnacle of his ministry. Jesus is obsessed with the kingdom. It's all he talks about. Everywhere he goes, he's proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13, verse 31, another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. Verse 33, another parable he spoke, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven which a woman took and hid. Uh, Verse 44, again the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. Uh, Verse 45, again the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet. Verse Verse 47, the kingdom of heaven is like everywhere he's going, the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of God is like that. What's he trying to do? He's trying to pick references that they'll understand to explain something that they've never seen. He's looking around. He's saying, all right, the kingdom. I've got to proclaim the kingdom. It's, it's like a dragnet. We've got this fisherman. It's like, it's like this treasure in this field over here. It's like this coin that a woman lost and went to recover. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven. It's all that he talked about. Now, I'm going to rock your world. Put your lenses on. Jesus never preached about heaven. Jesus never preached about being born again. Jesus never preached about the cross. Yet it seems that that is what the church is obsessed with today. Heaven, salvation, born again, and the cross. He talked about being born again with one man, Nicodemus, in the middle of the night. When I say preach, when I say proclaim, I mean what he's talking to multitudes about. Let me get, let me get this out to the most people I can. And when he's in front of those people, man, he's going off the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. He talked to his disciples about the cross and these things that are going to happen. He talked about heaven with his disciples in John 14. There's only 12 of them sitting around the table with him at the Passover. And he says, now I go to prepare a place for you. But when he was preaching, 
and proclaim it. All he's proclaiming is the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus said, how can I see the kingdom of God? And he says, well, no man can enter. No man can see it unless you're born again. Born again? What, what you, I got to go back up into my mom? I mean, it, it, set your mind on things above. Because otherwise, you'll be like Nicodemus, and, and, and you'll resort to something so vulgar, something so ridiculous, because you can't see the kingdom. Because you've got to be born again. Now, we confuse, we confuse purpose with assignment. We confuse purpose with assignment. You, how many people went to school? You went to some form of school. How many of you had homework? How many of you took tests, pop quizzes? Okay, I'm not giving you any, so don't, you can relax. I'm not giving you a pop quiz. Not get, I'm not testing you. But the test, the pop quiz, the homework was the assignment, not the purpose. You didn't go to school to take a test. You went to school to graduate. But the assignment helped you achieve the purpose of graduating. The cross, listen, the cross was not Jesus' purpose. The cross was Jesus' assignment that would help him achieve the overall It was the assignment. That's why you and I can't go to the cross. That was his assignment, not mine. But you and I have the same purpose Jesus did. What's that purpose? Luke chapter 4, verse 42. Luke chapter 4, verse 42. Now when it was day... He departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. Because for this purpose I have been sent. For this purpose. Of proclaiming and demonstrating. See, see, Jesus came as a king. Jesus came as a king. John chapter 18. John chapter 18. Verse 33. He's standing before Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate is a governor over a territory. Uh, 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 Pontius Pilate understands ruling and authority and dominion and territory and kingdom. He understands this stuff. And in John chapter 18, Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? You're standing here in front of me today because people say you're a king. Not because they say you do a bunch of good things. Not because they simply say you're a radical. Not because they simply... He is, you, you don't go to the cross because you're a radical, because you're crazy. You're a crazy person. You're doing crazy things and saying crazy things and, and, and you're just a big weirdo. You don't go to, cro- go to the cross for that. You go to the cross for treason and for coming in and saying that you're going to establish another authority besides mine. I'm the governor here. I'm the ruler here. And they've brought you to me because you keep talking all this kingdom stuff. And he says, are you the king of the Jews. Verse 34, Jesus answered him, Are you speaking this for yourself, or did others tell you this concerning me? Did you figure this out on your own, or are you just regurgitating what everybody else has been saying to you? 36. Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom... See, he doesn't deny 
that he's a king. He doesn't deny that he has a kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Verse 37. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world. That I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. For this cause. For this cause. For this purpose. For this reason. He's saying, this is why I'm here. You got me. I'm here to reestablish the kingdom. Why did God have to send Jesus? Why could he not just redeem mankind right there in the garden? Because God made, he said a word. He made a commitment. He spoke a law in Genesis 1.26. Let man have dominion. Man is spirit, soul, and body. That's man. Every one of you in this room, you are a spirit, you possess a soul, you live in a body. God does not qualify. God's the only one that can save us, yes. God's the only one that could redeem man. And he's also the only one that can't redeem us. He said, the only way I can get anything done in the earth now, I'm going to have to find a Noah. I'm going to have to find an Abraham. I'm going to have to find a Moses. I'm going to have to find a David. I'm going to have to find an Isaiah. I'm going to have to find a Jeremiah. I'm going to have to find a Peter. I'm going to have to find a Paul. If I want to do anything in that realm, I've got to use man. Because if he goes back on his word in Genesis 1.26, he can go back on all of them. So if I want to redeem man, i got a dilemma. i, I got a problem here. Bible says, John, Jesus said in John chapter 4, that God is spirit. And those who worship him, worship him in spirit and truth. He's spirit. He does not possess flesh like you and I. Therefore, he does not have authority in the earth. I know that sounds crazy, but God only has authority. And God is sovereign. He can do anything. He's in control. Yes, he is in control. And he is sovereign. But he's only, he can only be sovereign to his word. He can't go against his word, guys. If he said it, he can't go back on that. So he's got a problem. I'm the only one that can save man, but I'm the only one that can't save man. So I've got to find a way to get myself in flesh. You see where Jesus shows up. I've got to find a way to get my deity, my goodness, all that I am. My sovereignty, my power, my my cleanliness, my holiness. The only one that can redeem man is one that has never sinned. I'm the only candidate. So I've got to get myself and wrap myself in flesh so I can get myself in the earth. And so he puts himself uh, by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary through her son Jesus. And Jesus now is the perfect candidate. He fits all the characteristics. He's holy. He's clean. He's a lamb that's spotless. He's never sinned. He's never been separated from God. And he's wrapped in flesh. And he's mortal, just like you and I. And he has the ability to encounter temptation and overcome temptation, like Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. And so now we're set up. The cross was not Jesus' purpose. The cross was Jesus' assignment to achieve the purpose of reestablishing the earth once again. Jesus did not die on the cross to get you to heaven. Say it again. 
Jesus did not die on the cross for the purpose of getting you to heaven. Jesus died on the cross to take care of your sins because you can't rule the earth if sin rules you. But now that I don't have sin, I can replace sin with God's spirit and I can be just like Adam and just like Eve and I can rule over this territory because God's spirit now lives in me once again. Jesus said that I'm sending, I'm going away. I'm going to be with my father. I'm going to his right hand, but I'm going to send to you another one, another one just like me, a comforter, a helper, an intercessor, and he is going to live in you. You thought the disciples had it good. You're saying, man, I wish that Jesus was here. Man, I wish that we had Jesus walking with us and Jesus, you know, doing all these miracles and doing all these signs. And he says, you've got it better. You've got the Spirit of God and he dwells right in here. Right here. The Holy Spirit lives in me. Jesus went to the cross to pay the price to get you back. And now that he's got you back, Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 says, He has delivered us. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into what? The kingdom of the Son of his love. That word conveyed means transferred. It means translated. It, it has the connotation of being brought out of one country and taken and being placed in another country. And when Jesus went to the cross, he pulled you out of darkness and he said, devil, you're no longer in charge. You no longer have authority over them. I take them out of your domain. They're no longer ruled by you. I place them back in my kingdom. They will submit to me. And when they submit to me, the earth will submit to them. That's what the cross is all about. That's why we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. That's why he paid such a price. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. Chase, Lisa, if y'all would come. Have them come up so that way you know that I'm winding down. That way I know I'm winding down because we could go. We could go. We could go. In verse 9, he says, in this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in where? Where? Where is he? In heaven. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Kingdom come? Here? I thought I was trying to get there. I thought I was trying to get where he is. And he says, no, 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 no. No, no, no. Your kingdom, that means your rule, your reign, your, your reign, your way of doing things, the way you do it up there, needs to be done down here. Your will be done. Is God's will death? Is God's will destruction? Is God's will hate? Is God's will anger? Is God's will addiction? His will, your will in heaven, be done on earth. Jesus did this, man. Jesus. Everywhere Jesus went, he's telling storms to stop. He commands a fig tree to die and die. tells lame people walk blind eyes open 
deaf ears open. That's called authority. That's called ruling and reigning in this life. Why? Because he's king. And the earth recognized, I submit to you. You're the king of kings. You're the Lord of lords. Demons, even demons, they get around Jesus. Please, 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 please don't, please don't cast him. Please don't. Please. Why? Because somebody with authority just showed up. Those demons had to ask Jesus if they could go into those pigs. The demons didn't have a right to do anything other than what Jesus told them. Jesus controlled. He operated in control. He managed. He ruled. He reigned. He governed. He dominated the earth. Not because... He was God because he was king. Because he showed up as the one with the rightful authority, the rightful rulership. The earth responded to Jesus. Here's the other thing. Nothing in the earth controlled Jesus. Nothing in the earth controlled Jesus. He walked on water, man. He walked on water. Because he has the right, with his authority as a king, to command the water to do something, even something that it wasn't originally designed to do. If I need this thing to be a passageway to get out to where my disciples are in the midst of a storm where they're about to die, then it'll happen do it. Jesus is the king of kings. Jesus is the Lord of lords. And Jesus came as a king to restore you, to redeem you. He didn't just buy you out of hell and give you away to heaven. He bought your authority. He bought your rulership. He bought your kingship. And now, once again, man can rule and control and can manage and can have authority in the earth once again. It doesn't have to be the way you see it. Finances don't have to control you. You can tell the finances what to do. Hate doesn't have to control you. You can tell love to show up. That addiction doesn't have to control you. You can put the flesh down. You're in authority. You're in control. You're managing the situation. You're taking charge once again because Jesus bought you with a price. He's restored you. You don't have to be dominated by the enemy any longer. You don't have to be controlled by the devil any longer. The devil has no hold on you. We've got to understand our authority, our power, and our dominion that Jesus offered. Father, I pray right now that you will give us an illumination, not in our minds, This stuff can't be comprehended with our heads. This isn't naturally discerned. This is spiritually discerned. So show us, reveal to us in our spirits, in our hearts, that this is the truth in your word. That this is who you created us to be. That this is the reason, the purpose that Jesus came to this earth. Just thank Him. Just lift your hands and thank Him. Say, thank you, Jesus, for paying the price. Thank you, Lord, for paying the price. 
thank you, Lord, for redeeming my life. Thank you, Lord, for, for buying me back. I wasn't worth it. I didn't have the value. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. You redeemed my life. You restored me. You brought me back and you've given me purpose once again. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you for the blood. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for your son. I thank you for the price. I thank you for the gift. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I would not be here if it wasn't for Jesus. I wouldn't have a purpose if it wasn't for Jesus. I wouldn't have a life if it wasn't for Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Father, we thank you today. We thank you today. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. Father, help us see this. Help us see this. Help us see this by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.